Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. We got there. So we're working there, y'all. Our uh, theme coming from chapter 2, which will actually be next week's uh, section, the three uh, key thoughts from the book of Colossians, Paul's epistle to the church of Colossae, encouraged in heart, united in love, and knowing Christ. Then we do a book study, and when we do a book study, we go from section to section in the entire book. And uh, one of the things that uh, I like about that is, occasionally you come to a difficult passage of Scripture. And the reason I like that is, if I was just doing a topical study and I picked this passage of Scripture, you might say, why did you pick that passage of Scripture? It's kind of hard to understand. It's kind of confusing. But since it's here, and this is where we are this week, uh, I have no choice but to cover it. And so we're going to do that. If you open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be at the very end of the chapter this morning, and a challenging uh, passage of Scripture, but one that I have found very applicable to my life and I think to your life as we look at this together. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, as always, we do pray. Let me just take a moment to quiet our hearts as we have worshipped you in song and in scripture already this morning. And we pray now as we look into your word that our hearts would be open to your word. Might your word impact our lives as we leave this place today and continue to walk with you, to serve you, to love you, and to just rejoice in our salvation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, and let's look at this very uh, first verse, which is the verse that is kind of challenging. And I have it up here for you in case you might, you might be using different translations, and I'll be preaching from the NIV this morning. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, if you consider that, and you consider the what we preach here at this church and what evangelical Christianity has preached always, is the fact that Christ's sacrifice for our sins was completely, completely adequate to cover our sins. We read earlier from Scripture, from Ephesians, that we are saved by grace, not by works, lest anyone should boast or take credit for it. We preach all the time this simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the salvation that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. He shed his blood for my sin and for yours. He rose from the dead. And there's nothing that we can do to add to that or take away from it. We have to come and simply receive in simple faith the gift of salvation. If you're here this morning and you've never made that choice, You've never accepted Christ as your Savior. I don't want anybody to ever leave this building without having heard that wonderful message, how much God loves you. And that is the message of the gospel. God loves you. He sent his Son to die for you, to pay for your sins, that you can receive eternal life and forgiveness for sins, and know for sure that you will be with Christ and God and the body of Christ, the church, in heaven for all eternity. It's a simple gift that you can accept. But at first reading of this passage, it does kind of raise sort of a question. Well, then, what is lacking? And notice I underlined in this, 
what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. And as you read the commentaries, it will point out, one of the ones I use in my study, the, the Word Biblical Commentary Series, which is a whole volumes of New Testament and Old Testament, and uh, very uh, very fine uh, scholars, Bible scholars, from all over different uh, walks of the evangelical Christian faith. But as uh, Peter O'Brien in this commentary, he says this. He says it appears. He says this 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 verse is the has been a crux exegetical crux since earliest times. It appears to express ideas that go beyond Paul's statements elsewhere and which seem to have no parallel in the rest of the New Testament. What are Paul's suffering? How can they be occasion for rejoicing? In what sense can these sufferings be for the body of Christ? And what is meant by the phrase Christ's afflictions? How can it be meaningfully said that something is lacking in these afflictions? And in what way can Paul, or any other Christian, if it applies to them, Fill this deficiency. These are the questions for this passage. And really, uh, the question is, in what sense can Paul fulfill what is lacking in Christ's affliction? Is there anything lacking in what Christ did for us as Christians and for the church, the body of Christ? When we come to a passage like this, one of the things I want to remind you, whenever you reading the Bible and you're studying the Bible and especially when you come to a passage that maybe seems to contradict what else we read in the Bible and other places that there's other teachings, it's important to remember the context. You know, in real estate, of course, you know, the mantra is location, location, location. And when it comes to the Bible, when studying the Bible, context, context, context is so important. No Doctrine of the Christian faith is built on just one verse in the Bible. We look through the Bible and we look for the consistencies and we see this consistency throughout the New Testament that Jesus Christ's sacrifice was completely adequate and there is nothing anybody can add to it when it comes to providing for our salvation. But the context of this passage, I think, can help us understand what Paul is talking about. So we need to read the rest of the passage. And I want you to think, what is the main thought in this section here? We're going to read this through verse 28. I want you to think to yourself, what is the main point that Paul is trying to make to this church at Colossae in this passage? So let's read it. We'll go back to verse 24. Now rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my body, in my flesh, what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. If we were in a 
smaller setting, I would ask you to get in groups and uh, discuss. And I think about this. What is the main point of this passage? What is it that this this section here about filling up what lacks in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, what is this connected to? As you look through this passage, I would like to suggest to you that is, as we move toward the end of this section, that we really get the context that the, the purpose, he's writing this, and I think it really finds its apex at the very end of verse 28, where he says, our goal, the reason that we're doing this, the reason God has called me to this, the reason I'm ministering as the apostle to the Gentiles, is, as he says, that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. This is the goal. This is where this is moving. And I've titled this, if you think of the context of this passage, that what Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 1 here, he's talking about building up the church, the body of Christ, that I may present everyone perfect. I teach everyone. I proclaim him. And my goal is in, in teaching everyone in wisdom that we might present everyone perfect. The word perfect there in the, in the Greek language, it does not mean sinless perfection. It implies the idea of fullness or completeness, coming to completeness. And his goal here is that when we minister, when we fulfill what God has called us to do, that we are doing this with the end result that everyone we minister to, every person in Colossae, every person at this church that Paul is writing to, where it appears he has not yet visited, that his sufferings, his ministry, his teachings, it all is working toward this goal of building up the church, the body of Christ. And so we might say, in that context, let's think about what Paul is saying about his suffering helping to fill up what is lacking has to do with his ministry that he's been called to in building up the body of Christ. Paul has a calling. Paul has a mission. Paul has a commission from God. You'll notice in verse 25 where he says, I have become its servant. I have become whose servant? What does the word it refer to here? He just got done saying, for the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant. Paul has become a slave. He's become a servant, a slave to God's call for the sake of the church, the body of Christ. And he says, by the commission that God gave to me. We talk about Paul's calling, Paul's commission, the word economia, the word which we get the word economy from. And it's also the word that we get the word dispensation from. We talk about dispensational theology, which sees God's working throughout history, how he works with his household. It comes from the idea of a house. This is a really strong concept in the Bible. Not so much in our culture, but in the Bible culture, both Old and New Testament, this concept of a household servant or steward. If I had a household servant or steward at my house, I would put them in charge of, of my household and then expect them to run my household. 
They would be the steward, the servant. And you'd find that, that Jesus so often, doesn't he, in his, in his parables, talks about that you know, the, the owner went away and he left the steward in charge of his household. The owner went away and he left three stewards in charge of sums of money. These concepts that they were responsible. This is a commission. This is the economy, or we get the word economy, how we run our economy, our financial affairs. It comes from this word. And Paul says, I have been given this dispensation. I have been given this commission, this responsibility. God gave it to me. And what was it? Well, notice what he says in this verse, in the continuing verse 25, to present to you the word of God in its fullness. So let's consider what Paul's commission Paul's responsibility, because I think this, this is what he's talking about. He is not talking about that what he is doing is going to fill up Christ's sacrifice for the church. That is complete. He makes that clear in his writings. That there's nothing that can be added or taken away from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our salvation. It is, it is finished. Christ called from the cross of Calvary. It is finished. There's nothing that could be done. But what is Paul doing? Paul has been given a commission. He's been given a commission in this, this context of building up the body of Christ. And there is something lacking. You know, lacking is not a negative word. It just simply means there is something to be done. And God has established. God has established. We read in Paul's epistles. We read that the church is a growing building. The church at Colossae, the church here at Shoreline, the church around the world, the Christian church in every situation, every case, locally and universally as the body of Christ, is in the process of continuing to grow, continuing to mature, continuing to be filled up, as it were, in terms of what God wants for his church. Its finality will come when he calls us to himself and brings an end to this dispensation, this era, we believe, with the rapture of the church, the body of Christ. And until that time, yes, there is something lacking. That is not a negative word. It is work to be done. Think of it that way. You have work to do this week, right? If you're employed, and you think, I mean, some of you are thinking right now about the work you have to do this week, right? Maybe you're off tomorrow, but, you know, Tuesday. You have work to do. There's something lacking at your place of work. You might be building a building. You might be working on a case. You might have a software program that you're working on and writing. You might have a paper you're working on. It, it has to be finished. There's, there's something lacking. That is not a negative thing. That is a simply a fact. There's work to be done. And Paul is talking here, I believe, when he says that my sufferings, to fill up in my flesh what is lacking, the work that is to be done for the sake of his church, the body of Christ. God has given me a specific calling to do my part in this work to be done. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Good. You know what Pastor Schitt used to say? Some of you have been around for a while. What he used to say? Shake your head yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Shake your head yes. That's, there's work to be done. This is what Paul is referring to. What is Paul's commission? First of all, there are several things. But you notice he says here, my commission is the presentation of the mystery, verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. Paul uses this word mystery over 21 times in the New Testament. He uses it more than anywhere. And in the Greek, it is simply mysterion. It sounds a lot like mystery. The idea in the Bible 
You know, and, and, and there are many who looked at this and said, well, in the Greek culture it had to do with these Gnostic religions and mystery sects and so forth. No, it is a Hebrew background. Paul's background comes from his Hebrew background in the Old Testament. Think about the prophets. Think about from the beginning, Moses was called a prophet. Think about the work of the prophets as God's will is revealed. Something that had not been previously revealed but is then disclosed. And that's all it really means. Mystery is simply means something that has been hidden in God because God knows all, God has planned all, and yet it has been previously unrevealed. It would be like if I had a statue up here, you know, or a piece of art with a cover over it, and I knew what this art was, and you have never seen it, and you come together for the unveiling, and I pull the, 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 the cloth off it and unveil it to you. Something that has previously been unveiled but is now Revealed. This is all it is. And Paul is talking about something very important that he has been commissioned. He is a servant, a household steward, a economia. It has been given to him to reveal this, to reveal this to the, to the church and to the world. It is something that has been previously unrevealed. Secondly, well, this is what I'm just talking about. The mystery is previously unrevealed. What is it? is now made known among the Gentiles. We notice this. You go back to this passage here. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to his saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this ministry. The word Gentiles here is a word that we would get from the Greek uh, ethnos, uh, ethnicity, the nations. But why does the Bible use the word Gentiles for that instead of nations? Well, because we know throughout throughout the New Testament scriptures and the Old Testament, this idea of Jew and Gentile. The reason for that is God called the Jews as His chosen people. He called them into a covenant relationship with them, and He and He says clearly in the Old Testament, He says to Moses, "Tell these people, I did not choose you because you were so numerous." And the implication is, I didn't call you because you deserved it. You were better than anybody else. I called you because I chose to set my love upon you. I chose to do that. I chose to do that. And I've called you for a purpose. And the purpose was to reveal himself to this chosen people that they might reveal to the world their God, they might be an example and a witness to their God as he is unfolding his plan of salvation. And it was a good plan. Think of the plan of salvation. God begins with a man named Abraham. Abram, then to Abraham. From that man, he has sons. He has Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac has sons, Jacob and Esau. God calls Jacob and changes his name to Israel, and he has sons, and his sons become the heads of the tribes of Israel. Hence we call them the children of Israel, because his name was changed to Israel. And in doing so, God starts with a man, and he ends up with a nation of people from that man, from his son, from his grandson, from this nation of people. And from that nation of people, God says, I'm going to bring one particular king, a Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior. And it's going to funnel back to this one person, and this one person is going to become the Savior of the world. It was God's plan of salvation, and it was a good plan. Some might say, well, that wasn't fair that God chose one nation over another. 
you know what? It's a good plan. It wouldn't have happened without God's plan. And so Paul is saying, listen, what is happening today is that there's something that had been previously unrevealed, but it is now being revealed to the Gentiles, to the nations. What is this mystery? What is being unveiled? What is being revealed? Well, he tells us. It's very simple. This passage right here, he makes it very, very clear. Look back here at verse 27. After we've seen verse 26, it's now disclosed to the saints. It's been kept, he says here, it's been kept hidden for generations and ages. God, God's plans of salvation are never plan B. God didn't wait to see what happened when, when Christ was rejected by his own people and say, now I have to come up with a different plan. The Bible makes it clear. God's plan for salvation was before the beginning of creation. It's the only way it would have happened. And God has a plan. He's kept it hidden, and Paul says, but now it is being revealed. And here it is, verse 27. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, here it is, the mystery is simply this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's talking to the church, the body of Christ. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Who is the in you? Well, we always, whenever we see the word you in the Bible, right away we kind of think individually. I think of me, Jim Shmaria, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And that's true. Christ is in me through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Christ is in you. Christ is in his people. We are identified with Christ. A very important Bible topic that we are identified with Christ. When I draw my last breath, and God knows when it will be, and I... And before him, what will be my plea? What would be my response? If You know, the old question that was asked years ago during the EE Evangelism Explosion Campaign. If you died tonight and stood before God, and God said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would be your response? What would be your response? A sinner. To be allowed into God's holy, undefiled, unblemished, perfect presence. My my plea would simply be that I am in Jesus Christ. He already paid for my sins. We read this. Didn't we read this last week? We read this last week where it says that we are we have in verse 22 to present you holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. Friends, that's my plea. I hope it's your plea as well. Because if your plea, if you if you think you're going to stand before God, and you're going to say, well, I hope by I hope that I did good outweighed my bad. That's that's nice. We all want to live good lives. We all want our neighbors to live good lives. But when it comes to standing before God, who is holy and without blemish, sin is sin. And you cannot say, you, it, will, it will not pass, friends, to stand before him and say, well, I, I never killed anybody, I never robbed anybody, I never, but you are a sinner, and I am a sinner. The Bible makes it clear. And I only plea is that we are in Christ Jesus and He in us and we can stand before Him unblemished and free of accusation. Amen? Amen. That is our plea. And Paul says, listen, this is the mystery. Christ in you. But I want you to think about this. Think of this context. 
This context is Paul is saying God is revealing something that had been previously unrevealed, but he is doing something spectacular, something nobody would have thought of. And as simply as this, that today, in Paul's day and in Paul's time, as the message is unveiled, the message is simply this. Gentiles, pagans, you people who have had no connection to the God of Israel, Previously, those people lived under the Mosaic Law. Read the Mosaic Law. We're reading through the Bible right now. Guess what? We get? Pastor Gary's not here today. What's, what's Pastor Gary's favorite book of the Bible? Leviticus. Right. No, not not. Okay. <laughs> Remember he told you that. Remember he told you you could skip it even if you wanted to, right? I'm not sure who gave him that license to give us permission to skip Leviticus. We're in Leviticus right now in our Bible reading. And yes, there are portions you kind of slog through about the skin diseases and the boils and the, yeah, yeah, okay. Read the Mosaic Law. Read it. These people, these people have been called by God to keep this law, to present sacrifices, to be purified, to go through water washings. Sacrifices, grain sacrifices, kosher, food you couldn't eat. And when God came to Peter and says, Peter, here's this, this sheet coming down from heaven, all these animals, eat it. And even Peter at that point in his life as an apostle after the resurrection says, God, sorry, I can't do that. You know I can't do that. That, that is not what we do. And these people that had, that had kept God's law, and now you're going to tell me that these pagan Gentiles, who've been sacrificing to idols, who've been living this life of complete separation and sin, you mean to tell me that they are welcome through simple faith in Christ's sacrifice to join us, Jew and Gentile, on equal status, equal footing through simple faith in Christ, and now all of a sudden you expect us to just... You just be one just like that? Paul says, yes. This is the mystery. It has been hidden for generations, but it is now being revealed. Christ in you. And I want you to think about you Gentiles. Christ in you, the body of Christ. Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. Let me just read to you. We'll move on and, and wrap this up. But again, I, mean, I just want to show you, this is not, you know, we have our view of theology at our church. We teach dispensational theology, that God has dispensations or ages in which he unveils his plan of salvation. We all believe that to some degree. You don't have offer sacrifices, and you would never expect and ask someone to offer sacrifices. But in this in this section here, and I did something really dumb. I pulled out my bookmark. And I think I remember the page number. Give me just a second here. I think it's page 86. There it is, 86. Got it. I underlined it. I might be getting old, but I'm not, you know. <laughs> Peter O'Brien. I know his credentials. Peter O'Brien, head of New Testament theology, Mord theology, New South Wales, Australia. There we go. New South Australia. Former professor of New Testament, academic dean of Union Biblical Seminary in India. Professor O'Brien, University of London. Okay, University of Manchester. Just listen to what he says. This is what he says here. The incorporation of both Jews and Gentiles into the body of Christ was not made known. 
that had remained a mystery until the time of its fulfillment, and Paul, as apostle to the Gentiles, and first steward, steward, economia, commission, of this mystery, has the privilege of unfolding its wonders to the readers. We take this for granted. This was astounding in its context. It was radical, unbelievable. Non-Jews are included along with Jews on an equal footing as members of Christ's body, and it was Paul's great joy as well as his divinely imposed obligation to be the agent of making known the glorious riches of this mystery among the Gentiles. Listen, friends, this was astounding. This was amazing in its day. And Paul says this has been, it has, it wasn't revealed before. Gentile salvation, yes. Gentile salvation is all over the Old Testament. During the Messianic Kingdom era, it is for the entire world. But the means by which it takes place now in this this unheard of concept that there is a new humanity, Ephesians chapter 2. Go home and read Ephesians chapter 2. The body of Christ, where Jew and Gentile equally, without any reference to the Mosaic Law, and works of legalism or righteousness, except through Christ, are equally welcomed and accepted and make up the new humanity, the new people of God, the church, the body of Christ. So what I'm trying to tell you is this. When Paul says, I I am suffering to fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards, he's talking about his ministry, his commission. It was, it was yes, still lacking. There's, There's work to be done. And for whatever reason, and Paul says that's whatever reason God chose me, the worst of sinners, the worst of sinners, because I persecuted the church, he chose me to make this known. And so I'm being faithful to this. Let me ask you this. Paul's passion for his calling. Look at the last verse here. Verse 28. Paul says this. We proclaim him, that is Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. What is Paul's passion? Paul's work to be done. What is still lacking in this ministry, it has, there's work to be done. What is Paul's passion? Teach everyone. Paul says, I'm teaching everyone. Every place I go... And listen, friends, you read his, in, in Corinthians where he talks about what he'd been through. Stoned and left for dead. Whipped countless times. Every place Paul went, I, I think about this sometimes, how easy my life has been. How easy my life has been. I've got brothers and sisters around the world today. I have pastors around the world today who face jail for doing what I'm doing right now, teaching the Bible. Would I come and do this if I was pretty sure tomorrow I could be tortured or be in jail for this? I have to ask myself that question. I've had life easy. How would you like to be in Paul's shoes and every, and every place you go, figuring the next day you probably were going to be abused, whipped, beaten, run out of town because of what you're doing? Every one of the apostles, every one of them, 
Every one of them, beginning with James, not James the brother of Jesus, but Peter, John, and James, the inner core, beginning with James, every one of them was martyred and killed for their work for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul was too. And so was Peter. They were all murdered and gave their lives. And yet they kept on doing it. Paul says, I'm, my calling is to teach everyone and to present everyone mature. We're back to that picture. Building up the church, the body of Christ. This is what I'm doing. This is what I've been called to. This is what God has asked of me. And let me just say, and Paul is expending his life. Paul knows he's expending his life. So what's our application for this, friends? Is there an application for you and me? Well, let me ask you this. Is there still lacking what needs to be done in building up the body of Christ? Is it over? Are we done? Are we finished reaching people for Christ? Are we finished teaching people and bringing them up in maturity and understanding their place in Christ? Are we finished? Josh asked earlier, mentioned earlier, the privilege we have to pray for one. Are we done encouraging, praying, helping, picking each other up? The songs we sang this morning about being picked up and we're down. Is this finished? Are we where we should be? No. This is still going on. This work did not finish with Paul. Yes, his commission, his, his call to unveil this message that he gave us in his scriptures, the call of the apostles. Yes, that, that is, their, their job is finished. But Paul says, Timothy, when I'm gone, I want you to continue to teach what I have given to you and give it to reliable men who will be able to teach others. The work still goes on. I want to ask you this question in closing this morning, friends. What is your part? What is your part in building up the church, which is his body, that which is still lacking in the sense there is work to be done? I dare say I want to challenge you. There is nobody here who knows Christ as Savior that can say, I really don't have anything to do. That is not true. Read Romans 12. Paul makes it clear that we are part of each other. We are the body of Christ, and Christ has gifted everyone with spiritual gifts. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Don't say, well, I can't teach, I can't preach, I can't sing, I'm not a powerful leader. That's not what we're talking about. Paul makes it very clear. The body of Christ is a body. And every part, whether it's the fingernail, the mouth, the toe, the gallbladder, the head, whatever, the head is Christ. Every part has a place and has a function. You have a gift and a ministry. Paul says, if your ministry is mercy, then be merciful. If your ministry is encouragement, be an encourager. If your gift is generosity, be generous. If your gift is teaching, teach. If your gift is praying, friends, right now as we, as we are here, somebody is over here in this room praying for us right now. Where would we be? Where would you be without those who have prayed for you? That is a gift. It is a responsibility. It is a privilege. It is your part in building up what is still to be done, the work to be done, yes, lacking, because it's work to be done in the body of Christ. Paul did his work. He finished the course.
MacGyver for our brother Bruce Kemper's service we talked about last week. It's a great service. The link is in the bulletin if you'd like to view that service. The Fidelians are going to gather to it. But about a life that that was that, that finished well. I remember Bruce giving a message at, back at the pastor's conference um, not too, some years ago, actually, now, about finishing well, completing what God's given us to do. What has God given you to do? Step up to it. Let's not get lazy. Do we want the easy road? Do we want just complacency and happiness and and peace without any commitment, any service, any challenge, any joy of being part of this great work of God? Listen, friends, what has God called you to? You need to think seriously about that. What has God called you and what has God called me to? And we need to have that same passion that the Apostle Paul had to finish the course, to finish the race. This is a great work that God has called us to do. You want purpose in your life? I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're retired. I don't care if you're in school. You want purpose in your life? Then join what God has called you to do. What has God called you to do?